right, well, good morning. You can go ahead and uh, grab a seat. Uh, for those of you I haven't had a chance to meet or connect with, my name is Matthew, and I serve as the teaching pastor here at LifePoint Westerville. And uh, last week was an incredible Sunday uh, in the, the life of our church. We had Life Change Sunday. And uh, here at the Westerville campus, we saw 16 people uh, get baptized and go public with their faith last week. Man, it was so neat and powerful just to see how God was, was clearly at work here. And actually, across all six of our campuses last week, we had 121 people go public with their faith and, and get baptized. So, man, it was a, a great day. And uh, maybe for you, your next step is baptism. Maybe you were here last week and you felt God beginning to, to work in your heart, uh, or you know that is a step you need to take. Uh, we're going to be doing baptisms again uh, during October. Um, so if that's your next step, we would love to, to, to talk with you about that. You can find anybody on our team, anybody with a connection shirt, and uh, we'd love to help you uh, take that next step. So a couple weeks ago, I was watching Monday Night Football. It was the, uh, the Browns versus the Steelers. And I'm not a fan of either team. Sorry to disappoint the, the, the Browns fans in here. I'm a, a diehard Packers fans fan. Uh, go Pack. I'm not really sure what the, uh, the future looks like for us. It's, uh, it's not the same as, uh, as it used to be. But I had Nick Chubb, the uh, Browns running back, on my fantasy team. And uh, some of you know where, where this is going. And I needed, I needed a big performance from him. I was down like 25, 30 points. I needed him like 150 yards, a couple touchdowns. I needed him to, to come through for me. Well, pretty early on in the game, the Browns are getting close to, to, to the end zone. And, and Nick Chubb gets a handoff. I'm thinking he's going to run in and, and, and score. I'm going to get some points here. Uh, but he's tackled. He goes down. And from the, the angle on TV, it just seemed like a normal play. Normal handoff up the middle. He's tackled. But as the teams kind of start to break back to, to their huddles, Nick Chubb is still on the ground, and he's holding his knee. And in football world, if you see somebody holding their knee, no bueno, not good. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to think, this, this is my first round pick in fantasy. I'm like, this is not good. I wonder what happened. And the, the announcers pretty quickly said, yeah, we're not going to be showing that replay. Yeah, that's not going to be suitable for, for TV. And uh, like seconds after they say that, they show the replay in the stadium, and you hear the, the fans just go, ooh. You're like this gasp. So, of course, I had to Google uh, I, I got to see what, what happened to this guy's knee. And as I'm, I'm looking, I'm seeing all these comments. It's like, don't watch the video. Don't watch the video. Don't watch the video. And what do I do? I, I watch the video. And, man, this, this guy, this poor guy, man, luckily he's, he's not, like, done forever. But his knee gets destroyed. I mean, it, it's violent. It's, it's gruesome. And it's, it's one of those things in life where you want to look but at the same time, you don't really want to see, you know what I'm saying? Kind of like with like roadkill on the, the side of the road. Like there's something about it where it's like you're, you're just, you, you have to look. And you're like, why am I looking at this? And, and you kind of like put up your hand and you, you kind of like peek through your fingers so that you can see just enough of what you want. But you're also kind of blocking out the things that make you uncomfortable. Maybe you've done that when you're watching like a scary movie or a horror movie, like you don't want to miss the plot, but it's way too much for you to just be watching. So you, you put your hand up and you kind of block out the things and you, you kind of peek through your fingers. But here's why I wonder, how often do we have that same approach when it comes to, to God and the Bible? 
You know, there are things in, in, in the Bible, there are things with, with, with God that we, we love to, to hear about, we love to, to read about. The, the idea that, that God is loving and that God is gracious and that God is compassionate, that God has a plan for your life, that God is working all things together for your good. Like, we're, we're really comfortable with those things. We want to show up on a Sunday, hear those things taught. We want to read about those things in our quiet time because those things make us feel good. Those things are encouraging for us. But if we're honest, I think there, there are other aspects when it comes to, to God and, and, and the Bible that, man, we just don't, we don't like as much. Because maybe they, they, they rub us the wrong way. They make us a, a bit uncomfortable. And we end up taking this approach where we almost put up our hand and just kind of peek through our, our fingers so that we see what we want, we see what we like, and we block up the things that we don't like and the things that maybe make us uncomfortable. I think one of those things that, that we often try to block out when it comes to, to God is the idea of judgment and wrath. Now, if we're being honest, I, I think we're, we're not always comfortable with the idea that God is going to pour out his judgment and wrath on the world. It doesn't always sit right with us. It kind of rubs us the wrong way. We, we don't like the sound of that. You know, whenever I have conversations about God with, with unbelievers, there are kind of two, two common objections that they consistently bring up in terms of why they won't believe in God or they won't trust him or they won't follow him. Two, two objections. The first one is this, is the injustice in the world. You know, they look around at just the, the pain and the suffering and the injustice in the world, and they, they, they ask, man, how could a loving God possibly allow so much pain and suffering in the world? Childhood cancer, mass genocide, natural disasters. Like, the, the, the question they ask, and it's a legitimate question, like, where is God in all of this? There's no way that God could possibly exist. And if he does, he must be a monster. He's not somebody I'm interested in following because if there really is a God, he would intervene. He would do something about the injustice and the pain and the suffering we see in our, in our world. I just can't reconcile, for, for many people, they can't reconcile the idea of the injustice and there being a loving and gracious God. But then the second kind of pushback I hear from people is this, is the judgment of God. Now, how could a loving God possibly send people to hell? I mean, how can you believe in a God that would punish people forever? I mean, doesn't that seem harsh? Doesn't that seem cruel? Doesn't that seem unnecessary? Like, what, what's wrong with God? Why can't he just let it go? Why can't he just get over it and move on with it? Is he just throwing a, a temper tantrum because he's not getting his way? But here's what people are essentially saying when those are kind of their, their two objections. They want justice without judgment. They want God to intervene and to do something about the pain and the suffering in the world. But at the same time, they don't want to see God's wrath. They don't want to see God's judgment. They want the problem fixed without dealing with the source of the problem. They want to treat the symptoms without treating and curing the virus that's causing the problems. And what is the source of the pain and the suffering and the injustice that we see in our world today? It's sin. Sin is the source of all the pain and suffering that, that we see. You see, ever since the, the fall of mankind in the garden, 
when we rebelled against God, when we tried to seize autonomy and authority for ourselves, we have been living in this broken world that has been corrupted by the virus of sin. It, it impacts our bodies. Like the reason we deal with, with disease and sickness is death is because of sin. It impacts the world around us and nature. It impacts our, our relationships. It's the reason we have what, hatred and, and malice and racism. It's the, it impacts our, our motives and our desires. Everything in our world has been tainted by the effect of sin. And so that's the, the, the dilemma that we really face. Man, can we have justice without judgment? Can the problem be fixed without dealing with the source of the problem? Can we treat the symptoms without treating the virus? And the answer is no. See, in order for, for the brokenness of our world to be fixed, the source must be dealt with. The virus, it has to be treated. It has to be cured. And that's really what revelation is all about. It's what it's pointing to. When Jesus is one day going to return, he's going to come back and put an end to all of the injustice in the world. He's going to eradicate this virus of sin once and for all. But in order for that to take place, in order for us to see justice, there must be judgment. God has to deal with the sin of the world, the sin of mankind. He must pour out his judgment and his wrath on the world. And that's what we're going to look at today in, in Revelation chapter 15 and 16. So if you have your Bible, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, I invite you to open up there. You can also scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you. And there's a section called Notes where, where you can follow along. But we're going to look at one of those passages, I'm just being honest, that makes us uncomfortable, that makes us want to put up our hand to kind of block out the things that we don't like. Like, this isn't the kind of passage that, that most pastors would just pick on a, on a standalone Sunday. Hey, what do I want to preach today? I want to preach about the judgment and wrath of God. Like, it's not something that we're naturally drawn to. And see, that's one of the benefits of teaching through books of the Bible, because it forces us to talk about some things that we wouldn't naturally drift towards. But as we look today at God's judgment and his wrath from an eternal heavenly perspective, not from a man-centered, fallen, broken world perspective, but from an eternal perspective, my prayer is that God's judgment, wouldn't it be something that we continue to try to avoid and look past and ignore and pretend isn't there, but that we would learn to value and to appreciate God's judgment the way that we value and appreciate God's love and his mercy. Because all of these characteristics of God all come together to make up God for who he is. They make God holy and perfect and just. As we dig into this kind of tough couple of chapters today, that's, that's my prayer for us. So Revelation chapter 15, starting in verse 1, John writes these words. He says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. Now, it's important for us to remember, especially if you've been tracking with us throughout this series, is that Revelation, it doesn't follow this linear timeline. 
In fact, it actually jumps kind of all over history. We see glimpses of the future. We see references to the past. We see the, the, the world as it, as it presently is. It's kind of jumping all over the map. What instead, what Revelation is doing is it gives us these different windows that we're able to look inside. And the curtain is, is pulled back for us where we get to, to see inside. And a couple of weeks ago, we saw this window that we're able to look into where this cosmic battle is taking place. A battle that's been going on since the beginning of time, a battle between good and evil, between the lamb and the dragon. And today, in Revelation 15 and 16, we're getting to peer inside another window, and we're getting to see a glimpse of the final judgment of God, this final judgment that's going to come. Now, we've, we've already seen several examples of God's judgment in Revelation, it's kind of been this recurring theme that pops, pops up over and over throughout the book. We saw the, the seven seals that were broken. We saw the, the, the seven trumpets that were sounded. And these were, were symbols of judgment that have either already occurred in our world or that will occur before the return of Christ. And the reason for the, these judgments that we've looked at, the seven seals, the, the seven trumpets, is to give our world, to give us an opportunity to repent, to turn from following the enemy and to turn back to Jesus. There are actually examples of God's grace and mercy giving us the chance to respond in repentance. It serves as a, as a warning to us. But the judgment that, that we're looking at today, it is much more final and comprehensive. Like there's not a, another warning. There's not another opportunity. There's not another chance for repentance after. It says that with the seven plagues, God's wrath, it's complete. It's finished. It's done. It's over. There's no do-overs. There's no, hey, one, one more chance. When God's judgment is complete, what side you are on, whether it's with Jesus or it's with the enemy, it is determined forever. So John goes on in verse two and says this, and I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those <clears throat> who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses. It's a key, God's servant Moses and the lamb. This is what they were singing. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come to you and worship before you, for you are right, your righteous acts have been revealed. So it says that they sang the song of Moses and the Lamb. And once again, John is, is making a reference to the Old Testament. And it's important for us to remember that we cannot properly understand or interpret the book of Revelation without knowing the Old Testament. Because over and over, John, he's making these references to the Old Testament. It would have resonated with his original audience. And here, John is wanting you and I to think back to Moses and to the exodus from Egypt. And what was going on in that story? Many of you, you know that, that story. God's people the Israelites, they were being held captive as slaves in this land that, that wasn't their own. It wasn't their, their, their home. They were being oppressed by the Egyptians. The Pharaoh was, was putting their children to death. 
And for hundreds of years, in fact, 400 years, they cried out to God for deliverance. They cried out to God for salvation. They cried out to God for justice. God, when are you going to fix this? When are you going to rescue us? When are you going to make things right? And they found themselves in this period of waiting. Generation after generation after generation, waiting and wondering, God, when are you going to show up? When are you going to do something about our suffering When are you going to do something about the injustice all around us? But it says that God heard their cry. And he remembered the covenant that he had made with them. He remembered the promise he had made that he would be their God and they would be his people. So what did God do? He sent a a savior, a rescuer. This man named named Moses. And when Moses arrived in Egypt, he went to to Pharaoh on God's behalf and said, Moses, let my people go. Let the Israelites go. And Pharaoh told him, take a hike. Who who are you, buddy? I'm not going to let my workforce just leave because your God said so. So Moses begins to to hold up his staff, and one after another, God begins to send these plagues against the Egyptians and against Pharaoh, 10 plagues in total. And the purpose of these plagues was to reveal the glory of the one true God, to reveal the glory of Yahweh, and to expose these false gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And after the the, the 10 plagues, Pharaoh says, you know what, fine, just leave, get get out of here. God has, has destroyed our land. And God miraculously parted the the Red Sea. And the the Israelites went went through the Red Sea safely to the other side. And then God brought the waters back and destroyed their enemies, destroyed the Egyptians. And when they got to the other side, what did they do? They began to to sing. They began to, to worship and to praise and to celebrate. And you see, it was God's judgment against his enemies that brought salvation for his people. It was God's judgment that brought justice, God's judgment that brought deliverance. And you see that the parallel between the story in, in Exodus and what we're reading here in Revelation? What you see in Revelation is that God's people, us, those of us who, who are believers, followers of Jesus, we are living in this foreign land that is not our home. Peter talks about that we are strangers We are aliens in this world that's not our home. We haven't been created for this world. We've been created for for another world. And we, as as believers, are being oppressed and persecuted by the enemy, by the dragon, and by the beast. And that looks different all over the world. In some countries, that persecution literally looks like imprisonment and and, and murder. People are losing their lives. And in countries like ours, it it can look more like the deception that we talked about a couple weeks ago where the beast is manipulating us and and, and deceiving us. But believers all over the world for hundreds of years have been crying out to God for deliverance, begging God for justice. God, we want you to come back. We want you to make things right. We know this isn't how it's supposed to be. And just like the Israelites who were in Egypt for 400 years, we find ourselves And it's time of waiting. And Revelation, what what it calls us to is to patiently endure, to remain faithful, 
to remain steadfast, to, to hold tight and to cling to the truth. But just like in Egypt, God has heard the cries of his people. He's seen our suffering. He's seen the injustice in the world. And he has promised that he's going to come back and he's going to bring justice. But his way of bringing justice is by delivering judgment. He's going to send these seven different plagues against the earth. And this is likely symbolic imagery. But the purpose of these plagues is to reveal the glory of the one true God. And to expose these false gods, expose the dragon, expose the beasts. And notice here in this passage, what what do we see the people of God doing as they're preparing and waiting for God to deliver his judgment? It says that they are singing the song of the Lamb. Notice they're, they're not embarrassed by God's judgment. They're not looking away and trying to avoid it and pretending like it's not there. No, no, no. They're they're worshiping. They're celebrating because they see wisdom. They see goodness. They see faithfulness in God's judgment because they're viewing it not from our perspective, not from an earthly perspective. They are on the other side of eternity. They are viewing it from a heavenly perspective, and they see that God's judgment makes him worthy of worship. They're not embarrassed by it. They're not uncomfortable with it. They're not holding up their hand, trying to block it out. You know, I think the, the reason so many of us, we, we have such a hard time with, with judgment is because we have a very warped view of judgment. Like when we see the, the judgment in our world today, man, it, it, it's not the, the judgment of God. The, wor- the judgment that we see today, it's very vindictive and spiteful. It can be cruel. It can be harsh. It can be unnecessary. It's not about justice. It's not about making things right. It's about enacting revenge. It's about getting even. It's about making somebody pay, but but God's judgment isn't like that. His judgment is is holy and just. It's not about God getting even with us. It's not about God trying to, to get back at us. It's not about him throwing a temper tantrum because he hasn't gotten his way. It's about God making things right and delivering justice. His judgment is about putting an end to our enemy for good, putting an end to to evil and to sin, which is why we see the people of God, as God is getting ready to pour out his judgment, they're worshiping, they're celebrating, they're praising God for who he is. Listen, church, God's judgment is not something that we should feel embarrassed about. It's not something that we should try to to look past and avoid and ignore because it's not something that takes away from the character of God. God's judgment is a part of what makes him worthy of our worship. It's what makes him holy. It's what makes him righteous. It's what makes him just, just like his love, just like his mercy. His judgment is, is, is a key to who he is. It's a part of his character. It doesn't take away from who he is. And in Revelation 16, we start to see this judgment. We're we're given a glimpse of this final judgment. And look at what it says in verse 1 of chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. 
And as you read through chapter 16, you see angel after angel pouring out these bowls of judgment and wrath on the, on the earth and on the enemy. And once again, you, you see the people of God, you see the angels, what are they doing? They, they are praising God. They are worshiping God for who he is. They say, you are just in these judgments, O Holy One. Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just is your judgment. And then verse 17 of chapter 16 says this. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. You see, when the, when the seventh angel pours out his judgment, God declares it is done. God's wrath, God's judgment, it's, it's complete. It's final. It's finished. And where have we heard that, that statement before? On the cross. And John, he, he's wanting us to, to make this connection between Jesus on the cross and Jesus returning again. You see, when, when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out moments before his death, it is finished, it is done. And what did he mean? What was finished? Everything that was necessary in order for a sinful people to enter into a relationship with a holy God. Everything that stood between us and God, knowing God, being made right with God, having a relationship with God on the cross, it was finished. It was done. God made a way for us to be right with him. When Jesus said it is finished, there was an opportunity for us to enter into relationship with God. You know, when, when we think about injustice in the world, when we think about brokenness in the world and the pain and the suffering, I think we, we tend to think of the problem as something out there, as something outside of us. And that, that's certainly the case. There, there is brokenness. There is injustice all around us. But the, the, the reality is, is that you and I, we, we are part of the problem as well. There's brokenness inside of us. And we contribute to the brokenness and the injustice of, of the world. We've, we've all been infected by the virus of sin, which is why Paul in, in Ephesians 2 says that we are by nature objects of, of God's wrath. We are by nature deserving of God's judgment because we have been corrupted by sin. It's at the core of our nature, which is exactly why. Jesus came to earth over 2,000 years ago. This is the, the, the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. Jesus left heaven and came and lived the life that you and I are not capable of living. He lived a, a perfect, sinless life. And he died a sacrificial death in our place. And on the cross, Jesus took on our sin and our shame, dying in our place, and he experienced and took on the full measure of God's judgment and God's wrath. You see, the cross is where God's justice and judgment converge. It's where the penalty for our sin was paid. And rather than, than God pouring out his judgment on, on you and pouring out his judgment on me, the people who deserve it, the people who have broken God's laws, 
who have fallen short of his glory, God said, I'm going to pour out my judgment on my son. I'm going to pour out my, my judgment on the lamb. And now through Jesus' death on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave, he's made a way for you and I, for us to be made right with God. Through faith in Jesus, through faith in what Jesus did on the cross, you and I can enter into a relationship with God and we can have the virus of sin that has infected us. We can have it cured inside of us. Like We, we don't have to stay broken. We can be made whole again. God's judgment was poured out on Christ, catch this, so that something very different could be poured out on you. God's mercy and his love and his forgiveness. We don't have to live under judgment anymore. But here's the thing. Even if we have trusted in Jesus, even if the, the virus of sin has been cured inside of us, even if we've been, been made whole, it doesn't change the fact, man, that there's still brokenness all around us. I mean, we, we still feel the, the effects of sin every single day, don't we? We, we feel it in, in our bodies as, as we age, as we fight sickness and disease. We, we, we see it in our world and, and, and the corruption and, and disasters and, and destruction, we, we experience it in our relationships with other people, which is why Jesus is coming back again. He's coming back to destroy our enemy for good. He's coming back to eradicate and cure the virus of sin forever. And everything that was already accomplished on the cross when Jesus said it is finished, it will find its full fruition on the day of Christ's return. His judgment, it will be complete, and we will have justice forever. This is the, the, the window that we're getting to look into. God's judgment poured out on the world and the people of God praising and worshiping God for who he is. So here's, here's the question for us today. And we've, we've asked this question as we've, almost every week as we've gone throughout Revelation. This isn't just something that gives us more information and more knowledge. No, the question is, man, how do we now live in response to the reality of this? How do we live in response to the judgment and the justice of God that is one day coming? It has to change how we live. Man, so I want to give you just two simple takeaways this morning. One for those of you who, who know Jesus, and one for those of you who say, man, I, I, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't follow Jesus. Two takeaways. The first one is this. For those of you who have trusted in Jesus for your salvation, it's this. Live in the mercy that we have received. We need to live in and walk out in the mercy that we have received. Now, I want you to, to think back. To, to the story of, of the Exodus and the Israelites in, in Egypt. You know, the, the final plague that, that God poured out on the Egyptians was the, the death of every firstborn. It was his, his judgment on, on full display. And what did God command the Israelites to do to prepare for this judgment? He told them to take a, a spotless lamb and to apply its blood to their doorframe, over the top and along the sides. And listen to, to what he says in Exodus chapter 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. 
and I will bring judgment. I will bring wrath on all of God, uh, on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. I'm the one true God. The blood, the blood of the lamb will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see that blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague, no judgment will touch you when I strike down Egypt. So God, he's pouring out his judgment. He's pouring out his wrath on his enemies, but he passes over the Israelites. And why does he do that? Was, was something special about them? Had they done something to earn and to deserve God's mercy? He passed over them because they were covered by the blood of a lamb. Do you, do you see the connection? Do you see how we find the, the ultimate fulfillment of this in Jesus? See, so much of the, the, the Old Testament points us to Jesus' death, his resurrection, his return again. This picture in, in Exodus of God sparing his people, withholding judgment because they put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, it points us to Jesus, which is why Paul wrote this in Romans chapter five, a verse that, that many of you may be familiar with, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were broken, while we were living in rebellion, Christ died for us in our place. Since we have now been justified by his blood, since we've been made right with God by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath and judgment through him? Listen, if, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, man, then you have been covered by the blood of Jesus. You have been made right. You have been justified by the blood of the lamb, which means that you are no longer, catch this, you're no longer under God's judgment and wrath. You are now under God's mercy and grace. This is where you live. You're no longer there anymore, but here's what I wonder. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, who have been covered by the blood of the lamb, how often do we continue to live as if we are still under judgment? Where we feel like God is, is still out to get us. Like God is just constantly frustrated and disappointed with us. And we live with this, almost this sense of shame every time we mess up, every time we, 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 we fail, every time we fall down, there's this constant shame that we carry around. And we feel this pressure to try to perform, to try to do better, to try to live up to the expectations so that God will be happy with us, so that God won't be mad at us. But listen, if you have been covered by the blood of Jesus, you're no longer under the judgment and condemnation of God. When you wake up each and every morning, you don't wake up to disappointment and frustration from God. No matter what you did the previous day, no matter how much you messed up, no matter how poorly you treated somebody, no matter the thoughts that you had, the things that you watched, you don't wake up to judgment and condemnation. You don't wake up to God saying, hey, can, can you try a little harder today? I've seen you slacking in your quiet time. Can, can you try a little harder? Hey, can you just do better? Man, you're, you're so average. Can you just do better? Hey, can you just get it right for once? 
man, you just keep making the same mistake over and over. You keep falling into the same temptation over and over. You don't wake up to that. What do you wake up to as a follower of Jesus? You wake up to mercy each and every day. The Bible tells us that God's mercies are new each and every morning. So for those of you who have trusted in Jesus, when you wake up, you don't wake up under judgment and condemnation and try harder and do better. You wake up under mercy. God is saying, I am well pleased with you. I love you. I accept you. Not because of what you've done, not because of who you are, but because of your faith and trust in my son, because you have been covered by the blood of the lamb. And for many of us in here who are believers, like we, we know this intellectually. This is something we would, we would say in life group, but I wonder, man, do you, do you really believe it? Has that truth moved from your, your head to your heart where you actually live this out? Where you don't, try to do good things out of an attempt to get God on your side, but you live in obedience out of your love for Jesus. Man, imagine just the, the, the peace and freedom you would feel if you really lived in this and understood, I'm not under judgment. I'm not under condemnation. God's not mad at me. God's not disappointed in me. God's not frustrated in me. God is giving me his mercy each and every morning. We need to walk in that. We need to live out that reality as, as believers. But then the second takeaway is, is for those of you who say, you know, I, I've never trusted in Jesus. I've never come to that place in my, my life. It's this. Man, we need to move under the mercy that we have been offered. We need to move under the mercy. We, listen. Here's what we need to understand. John, John, the author of Revelation, he writes about this in his, in his gospel account in John chapter three. He says, look, Jesus, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come in the world to, to, to judge the world. He came into the world to save the world. And he has offered mercy and forgiveness to every person, every person, which means that no one is under the wrath of God except those who choose to be, except those who have rejected the free gift of God's mercy and forgiveness, which is why Peter writes this in 2 Peter. The Lord, he's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Listen, man, God is so patient with us. His heart, his desire is that no one would perish. He doesn't want anyone under judgment. His desire is that you and I, that we would repent, that we would receive his mercy, move from judgment to mercy, which is why he has been slow in keeping his promise. It's why he has already delayed his return for over 2,000 years to give people a chance to turn to him for their salvation, to receive mercy. But Peter says, listen, when he does come back, he will come back like a thief in the night. Meaning it's gonna be sudden and it's gonna be unexpected. 
And when Jesus returns and comes to deliver his final judgment, it will be too late. If you haven't repented, if you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus, man, there will be no do-over. There won't be another opportunity. Listen, when it, when it comes to, to the judgment of God and people struggling with, man, why, why does God send people to hell? Here's what we need to understand. Hell was never created for you. It was never intended to be your future. God did not design you for judgment. He didn't design you for wrath. Hell was created and designed for Satan and for his demons as a way to punish eternally those who had rejected his authority. But we choose judgment. We choose eternal judgment for ourselves when we reject the free gift of salvation through Jesus when we reject his offer of mercy and we stay under judgment. But today, you have the opportunity to move from judgment to mercy. And it's not by by trying harder or doing better or believing the right things or mustering up enough strength on your own Ephesians tells us it is by God's grace through faith that you are saved. God has freely extended to you the free gift of salvation. He took care of it all on the cross. It's finished. It's done. Everything that's necessary for you to be in a relationship with God, it's done. All you need to do is respond with faith. What is faith? It's a transfer of trust where you're no longer trusting in your your own ability and your own goodness and your own accomplishments and your own giftedness and your own achievements, but you are placing your trust on Jesus and what he did on the cross for you. And if today you, you, you need to make that decision, if you feel like, man, I need to move from judgment to mercy, man, we wanna help you with that. We have members from, from our team in, in the area in the back called Next Steps. And during, while we, while we pray or during the next song or even after service, we have people from our team who would love to talk with you about that, to, to answer questions you may have, to pray with you, to talk with you, and to help you take that step and to receive God's free gift of mercy and forgiveness. You don't have to live under judgment anymore. Through Jesus, we can be under God's mercy. So Father, we, we thank you for your judgment. Even though it's something that, that we don't always like to talk about, that can make us uncomfortable, that we, we man, try to, to avoid and not look at, God, we thank you for it. Because through your, your judgment, God, we, we have justice. You're gonna make things right. And Lord, my prayer for, for those of us who, who are believers, who, who know you, God, I pray that, that we would live out the truth that we are under your mercy. We're not under your judgment and condemnation anymore, God. You have saved us. You have rescued us. Remind us each morning that we wake up to your mercy. We wake up to well done, good and faithful service. I am pleased with you. I love you. I accept you because you are covered by the blood of the Lamb. That help us to live the reality of that out. But Lord, I also pray for those of us in this room who are currently, we are under judgment. How we don't know you. 
God, today would be the day that they would move from judgment to mercy, that they would place their faith and trust in you and what you did on the cross when you said it is finished. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen.